Good morning. I want to first say thank you. I'm sure Pastor Jared's watching because he would never let me speak without uh, looking in on me. So, uh, Pastor Jared, if you're watching, thank you to you and Devet. Um, we have had an incredible journey together. We've known each other and been friends for a long time. And you welcomed me into your home, um, as you mentioned. And uh, you treated me like family. And it has been, uh, it's meant the world to me. So, uh, I can't be nervous, right? There's no way I can be nervous today. Just a little bit. I can't be human, right? I wouldn't be human if I wasn't nervous. Um, but I want to I welcome the online campus. We've got Los Angeles uh, the whole area, Albuquerque, Phoenix, Santa Barbara, Springfield, Las Vegas, Japan, Cambridge, I think it's Green Bay, Latvia, Bakersfield, Dallas. They're all tuning in today. Thank you for joining us and choosing to worship with us. Just give him a hand. Here's what I want to do. I've been working with this beta device, okay, and it works with my microphone. But what happens is when I scan the audience, it picks up on the loudest thoughts in the audience. So let's try this. You ready? Okay. I know this guy. Isn't he the one that changes out the paper towels in the restroom? Doesn't he do that connection card thing? He tries so hard to be funny. Bless his heart. I think he does something technical with that thingamajig. I hope this guy doesn't go too long. I'm hungry. Pastor Jarrett's not here? I should have slept in. Let it go, let it go. Oh, if I have to listen to that song one more time, I'm gonna. Yeah, I think I've seen him before. In the lobby sweeping. But why does he wear a shirt that says Ask Me on it? So weird. Look at that soul patch. He's trying to copy Pastor Jarrett. I can't believe for Christmas I got socks. For the second year in a row. No tengo una idea quién es. Who's that? Who's that who spoke Spanish? Okay, all right, all right. Oh, just having a little fun. I know a lot of you don't know who I am or what I do here. Let's just say I do a little bit of everything, and I love doing it. Love my job, and, uh, and I get to work with you even in the new year. I get to work in a, a couple of different elements, and I can't wait to just come alongside you and serve with you. Amen? All right. Um, why don't you do this? Slap your neighbor both of them, or maybe some of them behind you, and say, neighbor, you were the best looking thing in here until I walked in. <laughs> Today I'm talking about love, and um, I've entitled it, The Greatest is Love. And you may ask, why in the world is that important? Well, let me just say, if you're a Christian here today, it's crazy important. Because in Matthew 22, 27, Jesus was challenged to boil down the essence of Christianity. And he says this, he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And he then concludes and he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. For those of you who are probably still on this journey and not quite subscribed to this thing called Christianity, bear with me. Just stay, in, stay tuned a little bit because I'm hoping today that my job is very simple, that we give you some practical guidelines and encouragement as you leave today, all right? So as far back as I can remember, I was in a, in a, in a church. If the doors were open, we were there. And that is mostly, and 
part of, because of my mother. At an early age, I think of, of around the year of uh, uh, one year of age, my mom gave her heart to Christ. And then in that moment, she stayed um, uh, in the church for as long as I can remember. But what you don't know is that at one year of age, my mom got divorced from my biological father. And so uh, I don't remember all of those early years, of course, right? But I do remember uh, my dad had visitation rights on the weekend. And we would go, my sister and I would go and visit him on the weekends. And sometimes we'd go visit our grandparents from his side. And, uh, but my mom got remarried. And, uh, and so we started moving around um, with, with my stepdad. But what, so what happened was my biological father just kind, of, just kind of waned in the distance. The call stopped. The visitation stopped. So for years, I'd never heard or talked to my biological father. And so I kind of started looking to my stepdad for that, that reassurance, right? That fatherly love. But the issue was my stepdad had no emotional connection. I think he tried, but even as he was raised, there was just, I don't remember his his father really showing much connection and love to him. So there was an mo- emotional disconnectedness, all right? So for me, as, an, as, as, a, as a young man and an adolescent in those formative years, there was no, uh, there was no, I wouldn't say acceptance, but there was just not, there's that example of a father love was non-existent. And so I looked to my mom and she did the best that she could. In fact, you know, my mom is the reason why I am who I am today, that I'm in ministry because she prayed. She was a prayer warrior. I remember having services in our house, prayer, uh, prayer meetings in our house, and I got to see that um, each and every week. Did she make mistakes? Absolutely. Could she have been better in certain areas? Absolutely. But she was trying to, for a lot of those years as a single mom, single parent, trying to fulfill both roles. Well, my mom eventually got divorced again um, from my stepdad for not all the fault of her own, right? And so I kind of, I've looked to other people. And so my hero, my grandfather, who is going to be 90 in February, um, to this day, on the weekends, he goes to church Sunday morning, Sunday night. Wednesday, I think a Friday night prayer meeting. Saturday afternoons, he's in the nursing homes praying for people. Some weeks he gets to go to the jails and the prisons and pray for the prisoners there. He is actively working on sharing the love of Christ with others. And he's my hero. He's the one that I look to for um, the closest thing to a father love that I ever had and I ever got to see. But I know most of us, and, I, and I'd like to see some, maybe some hands, and, and don't be bashful with this because I think that the majority is, it's, it's a sad state of affairs here. How many have come or have seen someone or know someone in a family that comes from a broken home? Divorced, blended families. Probably everyone in this room. That is the norm. That is the norm this, this day and age. It's a sad fact, but it's true. that we, There is not a one father, a one mother, a, uh, two sets of grandparents and, and, and children that, come, that don't come from different uh, sides or different families or different fathers. It is a mixture and a blend of all of that. And so because of that, I believe that there's a huge love deficit. We kind of started out, we were kind of, in my, in my view, I feel like I, I started out missing something. What I want to do, how many are visual learning learners? Yeah, me too. Jeff, this is for you. All right. Um, here's, I got this very high-tech whiteboard, 
and Esau right here. In fact, you know what, uh, Pastor Chip preached last night, and he goes, I'm, I'm really old school. You know, Pastor Jared uses his iPhone 6 Plus to preach from, and he goes, I'm just using my iPad. I've got paper. So, Ch- Chip, uh, there you are. I watched you last night, by the way, online. Um, this is old school. This is a- What I want to show you, I'm a visual guy, so when I saw this uh, graph, it really made sense to me. So I hope, hopefully this helps you out. This line right here, this is kind of the start of our love journey, okay? Um, so this proud agnostic man came to his Christian friend and said, you know, I don't really think that my Christian neighbor is any more loving than my agnostic friends. He's not any more loving than my agnostic friends. And so this Christian friend of his said, well, let's look at that in a graph. How were you raised? How were your parents, how did your parents treat you? And he said, oh, man, I was in a loving home. My parents supported me. Everything I wanted to do, they, 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 they were there. It was a safe environment. It was a secure environment. There was no divorce. There was no talk of hate. It was everyone loved one another. It was just a love fest, right, Okay. Well, how about your extended family, aunts and uncles? How were you treated and your grandparents, teachers, coaches? They loved me. They supported me. And everything I did, they supported me. Okay, let's add to that stack of love, okay? What about your work environment, the corporation you work for? Oh, we, we do, it's crazy, but we do holidays together. We're treated, the employees are treated like family. That's pretty incredible, right? This guy, as far as the love gauge here, he is doing pretty incredible. He goes, well, what about your Christian neighbor? Do you know anything about his history? And he says, no, I don't really know. I don't really talk to him that much. Okay. Well, let's just say, hypothetically, that he grew up in a, in a hate-filled home. In fact, it was broken, and his, his mom passed early, and his dad had to raise him, but really didn't care about him. He was a nuisance. Okay. So there's a deficit right there, hate-filled home. What about extended family, coaches, teachers? Could care less. Had no desire to improve his future, even see what his purpose was in life. Another deficit, okay? Well, what about the work, his job? What if in that job they were not concerned about the people that worked there? All they were concerned about was the bottom line. In fact, they only had white people that worked there. There was no one of color that worked there. Another deficit. This guy, pretty amazing, right? Got a, got a great lot on life. I think he's going to go far. But he said, he goes, I don't think he's any more loving than my agnostic friends. Okay, well, let's say he's at least equal, okay? Now, I checked this pin out before I got out here, and it was doing really well. So here's the equal line. At least... This is where he said he was, okay? Let me go to the next color here so it can stand out. So he started out down here, right? But he was at least or equal to who went farther on the love journey? Who made the most improvement? Who made the biggest change in their journey to love? It's very clear, right? 
this Christian guy. See, what happened was he met Jesus. What happened is that although there's this huge gap right there between the love that the agnostic felt in his family and the love that this other guy felt, God is able to fill that void where our earthly fathers fail. Amen? I believe I was in a deficit, and I believe some of you here could say, I grew up in a love deficit. There was something missing in my life. But if you experience Christ, that void can be filled in a moment. And that's the love of a father, our heavenly father, that can fill that void immediately in your life. And it will change you, change you from the inside out. Was that helpful? We have to be careful on making assumptions about how loving someone is. What's important is where you start. If somebody is unloving to you, do you know their history? Do you know their story? What can you do to help improve their life? 1 John 4.19 says this. It says, we love because he first loved us. You see, the scripture seems to suggest that the greater our awareness of the Father's love for us, the stronger in love we eventually become. Let me repeat that. The greater the awareness of the Father's love for us, the stronger in love we eventually become. Uh, How many know about the love chapter? If you know it, what is it? 1 Corinthians 13. It's the quintessential chapter on love. And you hear it mostly at pretty much any wedding ceremony you go to, if it's a Christian ceremony, right? They'll quote 1 Corinthians 13. So we want to go there today. 1 Corinthians first verse, the Apostle Paul is talking about what we're just discussing, a father's love, okay? The heavenly father's love. He says this, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. See, who he's talking about there is those great orators, those great people who can get up in front and speak eloquently. He's talking about those politicians that have fantastic uh, presence on stage and can, and can uh, debate with the best of them. And he's talking about those politicians that when they uh, write down these, um, these decrees, that the change, it changes the direction of countries. He says, but if you don't have love, you don't have nothing. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. He's talking about preachers. He's talking about men and women of the faith that have, have incredible faith. They've seen healings. They know the scriptures back and forth. But if they don't have love, They have nothing. Verse three, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now it's a totally different category, people. Now we're talking about the wealthy and the rich. And he says, I can give all my possessions. I can sacrifice my body for the cause. But if I don't have love, it's nothing. It's zero. 
So what does love look like? Paul goes on and starts in verse 4 and says this. And I, and I want to encourage you. If you guys have not memorized verse 4 through 8, I encourage you to do so. If you have this in your heart, if you've got this in the deepest depths of your being, I believe it will improve your life. Verse 4, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. This is my favorite one. It is not self-seeking, or I like to say self-serving. If we were to just capture that one, just that one part of this, I believe that we could change the world. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in the evil, but rejoices with truth. Listen to Paul's all-inclusive language right here. He said, it always protects. It always trusts. Does he say sometimes? No, he says always hopes. If the mood is right, no, it always perseveres. And he literally finishes up and says, love never fails. Love never gives up. Dropping down to verse 13, he finishes it off and says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So I want to take a moment and ask a question. What if we actually loved like this? What would that look like in your life? What if we loved like this? What tragedies in the past would be, have been avoided if we have loved like this? Would we have had a civil war? Would we have seen World War I, World War II? Anthony, would Ferguson have happened? Would the most, more recent New York killings have happened if we had loved like this? Something to think about. I think in our American culture, in our English language, we flippantly use the word love. We can describe how you care for your spouse. I love my wife. But I also love my iPhone 6. <laughs> my wife would say, I love those shoes. And I would say, I love all things Apple and Google and Amazon. I love him. I love her. We have one word. One word to describe it all. It pales in comparison to what the Greek word uses. There's four for the Greek, but we're going to talk about three because those are what are used in scripture. And the first is phileo. Phileo is the affection or emotion, a fondness for one person to another. It's an earthly love. This is what we commonly use. When we use the word love, this is the word that we probably use. I love this, I love that, I love him, I love her. The next one is eros. This is where we get the word erotic from. It's a love between a husband and a wife. Here's what's interesting. It exists only in the context of a give and take relationship. And if you're married here today, you understand that. Now the third one is, is what Paul uses throughout 1 Corinthians 13, and it is agape. This one is the Father's love. This is an otherworldly love. 
the completing, the complete giving of love without getting in return, there's no reciprocation needed. It is unconditional, unmerited favor kind of love. It gives without taking. This kind of love rescues the failing marriage. If we were talking about a phileo kind of love in a failing marriage, it would end up failing. Because you know it, if you're married here in a relationship, you would know. It's like, okay, I'll do this if you do this, right? Oh yeah, you can have that, but I'm taking this. You see, if you're using an agape type of love, it says, I'm going to give you this no matter what. I'll do this for you regardless of what I get back. That's the kind of love that a prodigal son needs. That's the kind of love that, that a wayward parent who needs to find Christ needs. I just want to make a few statements regarding 1 Corinthians, kind of, kind of run a thread through what I see here. The first is God's love is crystal clear. I was going to have a, uh, a symbol set up because it, it obviously it references a clanging symbol and a noisy gong, but that stuff irritates me, all that noise stuff, it just irritates me, so I just wouldn't want to do it. But Paul says... When your actions don't line up with the words that you speak, it is as a clanging symbol. How many times have we been in a place where people are, uh, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, doing things for us. And, you know, but you know, you know in their heart, they're not in it. They're just doing it because they have to or for whatever reason. They're just, there's no, they have no interest in it at all. But you know exactly, you know the moment, you, see, you feel it deep in your soul when you, when you feel God's love pouring in on you through someone else. It is clear, it is precise. That is God's love. Number two, God's love is now. It's always now. No matter where you are, no matter ch what choices you've made, no matter what decisions you've made, if you need him, he is here in this moment. He's not going to wait. He knows what you need when you need it. Number three, the love of Jesus is the greatest force on the planet. It forgives even if it's been wronged over and over again. It's patient. It's everywhere. You can't control this kind of love. You can't change this kind of love. It's God's love. And the last statement I'm going to make for this one is God's love never, ever fails. It will never give up on you. No matter what dark pit you have been in, no matter what bad choices you've made, no matter if you've gone the farthest distance and you were in the blackest hole, he will never, ever give up on you. That's God's love. Now, what I want to do is uh, I want to just take a little bunny rabbit trail here uh, and just bear with me. It will connect, I tr I, uh, trust me. But I want to talk about Luke 15 for just a brief moment. In Luke 15, there are, Jesus tells three stories, parables, 
to the Pharisees. What had happened was Jesus taught in the synagogues uh, on a regular basis. And what was interesting is the sinners and the tax collectors, all of the people that were looked down upon in that day were there listening to him speak and teach. Well, the Pharisees didn't like that. He's like, why would you associate with such vile people? And even more so, he wanted to, uh, he had meals with them. And of course, in that day, meal was everything. Those you surrounded yourself with at the meal table, that was important. It was a social, it was relational. It's totally different than what it is now. So Jesus says, well, okay, I'm going to give you three stories to tell you why I'm associating myself with these sinners. So he starts out by talking about uh, a shepherd. He had 100 sheep. Well, one goes missing. Well, in our day, we would be like, ah, we've got 99. We're good, right? But in that day, that was their life. That was not only money and financial gain. It was, it was their future. It was very, very important if they lost that sheep. So the shepherd searches high and low, and he goes and leaves the 99 to go find the one sheep. He finds the sheep. He brings it back, and what does he do? He goes, calls the, uh, the uh, neighbors, calls his friends, calls his family, says, please, come. I have found the lost sheep. Let's have a party. I found it. The lost has been found, right? So he goes to the, he's right, right in a row, he goes right to the next story, tell, talking to the Pharisees about these, these lost things. He talks about this lady who has 10 silver coins. Well, she loses one. So she basically tears up her house to find this one coin, searches all night. She ends up finding her silver coin, calls her family, calls her friends, calls her neighbors, and says, please come. I want to have a celebration. I have found my lost coin. So the first one, we're talking about an animal. The second one, we're talking about a monetary gain, right? Well, the third, and this is probably the most famous, is the lost uh, parable or the story of the lost son. And most of you have heard that story, so let me just uh, quickly paraphrase it. Youngest son, uh, there's two sons. The youngest son came to the father and says, I demand his inheritance. And so basically, father says, okay, I'll give you your money. Divides the, the, the wealth among the two sons. Gave, and the youngest son takes the wealth and spends it on the most heinous sins, the most heinous things in the city. Well, he, he basically ends up penniless. And then a famine, hit, famine hits the earth, or it hits the, uh, hits the area. And he loses everything. In fact, he has to go work for another farmer just to, just to find enough food to eat. Well, there's famine was there, so he had nothing to eat. He was starving. Even so much so that the food that he was feeding the pigs, the slop, looked good. Then he came to his senses. And what happened? He says, listen, my dad probably won't accept me back, but at least if he'll give me a servant's some kind of a servant's uh, job, I'll have food in my belly and I'll have a warm bed to sleep in. So he takes the chance. He runs back home thinking his, his dad was just gonna shun him, but what happens? His dad runs, sees him from afar off, runs to him, embraces him, shows him a love of a father and says, you're welcome here. Calls all of his friends, calls all of the neighbors and the family and says, kill the fattened calf, put on the best robe. We are gonna have a party because my son who was lost is now found. So why did Jesus, why was he talking about this to the Pharisees? What did, the, where was the connection? A couple of the themes, or a few of the themes that were in there is one, something important 
and truly loved went missing. See, so he starts with an animal, goes to the coin, and then obviously the most important is a person. He goes to his, a lost son. Something very important and truly loved went missing. The second thing, the lost thing matters to the person and really matters to God. The lost thing mattered to the person, but really matters to God. So he was, remember, Jesus was telling these stories because he was talking to the Pharisees that were like, why are you associating with his people? Jesus was trying to get to the point across that I will go anywhere. I will do anything for that lost thing. In this case, that lost person. I will be in the vilest of places. I will go where I need to go. If there is one person that needs me, I will be there and I will run and go after them. I will search high and low. Let me ask you this. Do other people matter to you? Do other people matter to you? You know, I, I started out the message with, um, with this device I'm working on, right? I can hear your thoughts. What if I did that right now and asked the question, who can't you stand? Would it be the Raiders fans? I felt it. You hear the whoo. How about Dodgers? Can you stand Dodger fans? <laughs> Slow drivers? My wife is shaking her head because she knows I have an issue with that. Um, but you know what? I'm going I'm to throw Pastor Wayman under the bus. Every time he gets up here, I think he references the people in the roundabout, right? So, okay, all right. Man, the other day, I, about, I, I almost came out of my seat. It was bad. It was, whoo! They were going the wrong way in a roundabout. It was crazy. I mean, okay. We, we travel the same roundabout, by the way. That's why it's, uh, it's infuriating sometimes. What about rich people? Can you stand rich people? What about different colored people? What about those who speak with a different accent? You see, if we can answer who can't you stand, we really have to, then it really kind of points a light in the health of our love for somebody else? Do they really matter? Can you set aside the racial lines? Can you set aside the different skin color, the different languages? Can you set aside that and truly love them like Paul was talking about? We have to look through the lens of Luke 15 lenses, right? Growing up, I had to look past the, the racist remarks from my, my side of the family. I, I remember things, of course, when I was young, I didn't understand what that meant, but they would say some vile things that if I were to repeat today, you would be shocked. We have a lot of baggage and a lot of things that we have to carry through. We are made up. Our character is made up of, of how we were raised, decisions we've made, 
we have to change out our glasses. We got to put some new contacts in and look through different lenses once in a while. We have to look through the lenses of 15 and ask ourselves, do people really matter to us? Because they matter to God. They really matter to him. The next thing, another theme in these stories is there's an all-out search for what was missing. You see, if you're a Christ follower here today, you were sought after. God went after you with a vengeance. And if you're here today and you're not subscribing to this thing yet, you're still not sure about Christianity and because you've seen so much bad stuff, he's seeking after you right now. He's going after you right now. John 13, 35 says this, a new command I give you. Listen to this. I want to catch your all, try to capture all of this. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know what you're, what, uh, that you are my disciples if you love one another. Do you think he was trying to say something there? In one verse... He says, love one another three times. Just in case you missed it, love one another. I heard something years back, and it, and it, changed, it changed me. Somebody said, try to make every encounter, make it last, make an impression, add value to that encounter. And I, so when, when I heard that, I thought, what does it matter if the server at a restaurant that I'll never go to again, what does it matter if I give an encouraging word or a smile or a thank you? Every encounter I come in, every person I come in contact with, I try to make, I try to add something to them. Now I fail and I, I mess up. I don't do it all the time. I, you know, I'm horrible, right? But what if we made an attempt? Matter if you ever see them again, at the next time you talk to a gas station attendant, the next time you're served food and a, to a, a server you may never see again, what instead of taking something from them, you left a deposit into their life? What if you added value to them by a smile? What if you said it was a kind word? What if it was just something that, listen, it takes work. Is it easy? Absolutely not. Does it take um, some energy to kind of work it up and make sure that, you know, you left that engagement with, with something special and positive? Absolutely. Do I do it all the time? No. But does it matter? Yes. If we look through the lenses of, a, of 1 Corinthians 13 or a Luke 15, and every encounter that, and every engagement with a person that we come in contact with, and we add value to that person, do you think it's going to help them? Yes. But what is it going to do for you? Most of you, if you've not gone on a missions trip, kind of the, the cliche thing is that, yes, you're going to help people, and yes, you do great things for those, and, you know, especially if you're talking about international missions, those third world countries that don't have a lot, and you bring resources or you bring medicine, 
that helps those people. But every person that goes on a missions trip and comes back, their statement is, I was changed. The impact, yes, I helped them, but the impact was on my life. And I believe that that's the same case. If we, every encounter, every person that we come across, if we take a moment and just want to say a kind word, encourage them, smile, act like you really care, it will change you from the inside out. You know, I was going to, uh, let me read 1 Corinthians 13, 13 again. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But Paul says, but the greatest of these is doctrine. The greatest of these is your theology. The greatest of these is how many scriptures you've memorized. The greatest of these is how many cars you own. He says, the greatest of these is love. How how important is faith? How many scriptures are in the Bible about faith? Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Yo, ye little faith. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, right? Faith is important. How important is hope? Have you met somebody with no hope? It's a miserable place. Hope is incredibly, incredibly important. But Paul says the greatest of these is love. Why? It's not our doctrine. It's not our theology. He says love. The first runner-up of my titles um, today was, what's love got to do with it? <laughs> what's love got to do? Got to... Remember that song? What's love got to do with it? Everything. Love has everything to do with it. Every action, everything that you do, it has everything to do with it. Here's my last point. I'm not a long-winded speaker, by the way. Pastor Jared, you listening? (laughs) Going back to Luke 15, the last theme of that, those parables was this. There's a celebration when that lost thing was found. How many have lost their keys? It is an exciting day when you find those keys, right? How about your checkbook or your credit cards or your driver's license? Those are obviously just all superficial stuff, right? But how many of those parents have lost their children? How many of you have seen those? Remember on the milk carton? Some of you wouldn't even remember because they don't do that anymore. But on the milk carton, we're missing kids. What about those parents who have, who have missing kids? What if that child was found? What excitement would there be if a lost child comes home? Luke 15.10 says this, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus is actively seeking, actively seeking. And then when one of you 
When someone enters the kingdom of heaven, there is rejoicing. There is a celebration. And Jesus said it in those parables, even the sheep, we found it. Let's have a party. The coin was found. The lost son, he, the father gave his most prized possessions on his son. Why? Because the lost is now found. Because he was sharing not just a fatherly love, an earthly fatherly love, but a heavenly father's love. If there is one big idea I want you to, to leave with today, let's learn to love one another better. Paul was very clear. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love. love. 